This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is uh, one of the country's highest profile drunk driving cases. No questions about that. And today we got a bit of a surprising twist in that Marco Muzzo uh, was denied parole. So he did not get early release on his first application. And of course, Muzzo killed little Daniel Harrison and Millie, along with their grandfather, Gary, back in 2015, when he got into his SUV drunk and slammed into the family's van as he was coming home from a rip-roaring good time at his Vegas stag. And during the hero uh, hearing, Mr. Uh, Muzzo uh, was emotional as he faced uh, the grieving parents of those children. And while he did apologize to the first responders, to the community, and showed a lot of remorse to the family, um, he also said that he's very haunted by what he saw that day. But why did he get denied parole? Well, he had trouble taking actual responsibility for consuming the the alcohol that killed those children and a grandfather. He has not met step one yet, which is acceptance of what he did and the ownership of what he did. You know, it's almost as if he's trying to blame every, the circumstances. I remember him saying, and I, I believe the one of the board members corrected him, you know, why did it happen to me? And he said, it didn't happen to you. It happened to the Neville Lake family. That is Jennifer Neville Lake, who goes home every night to an empty house. So nothing changes for her, whether he gets out or whether he stays in. Let's bring in uh, Joe Newberger into this conversation uh, so we can break down about what, what maybe uh, did not go according to plan for Mr. Moot. So he joins us now. Joseph, I was a little surprised. I actually thought, not that he deserved it, but I thought Mr. Muzzo would, in fact, get parole, and yet they were pretty they were pretty quick in coming back and saying, no, not happening. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us had assumed that given everything he'd gone through and had done, that he would be an absolute model inmate. But the parole board made good point of the fact that it appears during his time in custody, he has done little to develop good or robust insight into alcohol and how abuse of alcohol was a major factor, not only in the crime and the death of this family, but in his future risk. So uh, it, we don't have the benefit of the assessments that go on and the programs that he takes during the course of his time in jail. So it must have been recorded during the course of programming or assessments that he was not seeing alcohol as a major issue moving forward. And that is really quite absurd, given the fact that alcohol and speed uh, were two of the major factors in this case. So I think the parole board made good point of that, and and their decision is well-grounded. Okay, and so my first uh, guess is that maybe he was coached a little bit because there is civil action against um, the the Muzo family uh, on behalf of the victims. And I wonder, would the language have been changed and maybe he didn't want to acknowledge that because of any uh, pending civil action? Yeah, I, I mean, I can't, it won't make a difference. I mean, uh, the act was committed at a time that he was well over, double over yeah. the legal limit at an exceptionally high rate of speed. And so his liability is made out regardless of right. what he does in jail. 
the, the, the damages that will flow is from his act at the time, so it won't make a difference. Okay. And the other thing I thought, well, maybe because this case is so high profile and because given, you know, the uh, Terry Lynn McClintock, the Elizabeth Wetlaw for Paul yeah. Bernardo all in the last, you know, few weeks, maybe the parole board knows that they're very much under the spotlight on this case. Uh, could that have played a factor in their deciding? Well, you know, one, um, you know, the, the victim's family always has a voice in a proceeding, which the panel should and properly take into consideration. Two, the parole board is very cognizant of the fact that this is high profile and everybody's watching because they want confidence in the criminal justice system and the correctional system. So I'm sure that it played a factor. But overall, uh, public sentiment shouldn't be a main or determinative factor I think from what I've seen from the reasons they were issued, and of course I'm just relying on, on media, but um, grounding it in the lack of insight with respect to alcohol abuse, what he would think about as to how he would get drunk in the future and how much it would take him, as well as looking at his driving record, I think these are well-grounded factors which heighten his risk and doesn't show that he's used his time in jail sufficiently in a manner it would make him an appropriate candidate for day parole. So I think that it was a very well-grounded decision because these cases are very serious and it's resulted in the wiping out of a family and it's exceptionally high risk. So this is not, you know, it's not a joke. And if he just didn't do what he was supposed to do, well, he gets the consequence of staying in jail longer, as he should. Yeah, I mean, he's he's up for, you know, he can try again, I guess, in about a year or can appeal in two months. I don't think things will change. But nonetheless, no. the civil side of this thing is continuing to go forward. I'm a little surprised at this point that the family hasn't simply settled, which I think would go a long way um, in helping the family uh, rebuild, maybe get, you know, supports that they need. But um, how long can that drag out then? Years. I mean, the yeah. civil system can drag out for years. I mean, there is no liability issue here. He is clearly at fault. The issue, frankly, is damages. And I'm not sure um, why, you know, I'm not a civil litigator. I've had experience in civil litigation. Um, you know, clearly the damages are something that can be, uh, you know, made out through, uh, there's case law on it. There's really a book about damages. And then you can have actuarial reports about about that. Plus there's the punitive damages. I mean, it seems to me that you could make a very strong case for significant damages. And given the deep pockets of the defendant, I really think, and, and, and just the the optics of it, that they should be moving and have should have been moving in a very swift manner to resolve this so that the, that the family that's left behind will have the supports, as you say, to try and, uh, you know, get treatment and care that they need, although none of this will ever replace the colossal loss that they suffered. No, not at all. But the fact that, you know, they even have to go through the process, it's, it's a bit surprising, I think, in this particular case, given they have the means, given that fault yeah. has been accepted, because the one thing Muzo did do um, is spared the family of a lot of um, trials and court appearances. He, he didn't fight this. He took uh, he took it on the chin and went to jail. So in, in that way, he did the right thing. But again, Absolutely. the civil side of this, I think, should have been just as easy for the family because... You know, just getting this thing dealt with would have gone a long way in helping them out uh, in healing. Alex, I absolutely agree with you. And if it hasn't been done, hopefully they'll move forward and quicker to get it done. Yeah, well, maybe maybe this the today's decision will give them a bit of motivation to do that. Uh, before I want uh, let you go, though, Joe, I wanted to ask you about uh, Mr. Goodale coming out today and, of course, yeah. announcing. They didn't give him a lot of detail, but no. that, in fact, changes are coming uh, when it uh, deals with federal inmates, specifically to women. Um, your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I, is this an like election he, to you, or is this that they got so much blowback by Canadians that uh, <laughs> huge blowback? I think justifiably so. You have somebody who's going to be in custody for a prolonged period of time. So this is a long-term resident of the jail system in a fairly, you know, uh, horrific case that's you know one of the most notable in Canada. And so I think there should be fairly stringent guidelines as to when you move a maximum or medium secure individual to a facility that has no fences and is, you know, quite pleasant as compared to others. And, and again, you know, there's many factors, but I think you have to maybe tighten up that criteria and set out some good goals that have to be achieved in order to make that uh, justifiable. And in this case, I still don't understand it. And I still don't understand as to whether she has indigenous heritage. <laughs> she does And not. this is something that's right. I mean, so, you know, I've, I, I, there are, you know, there are people of the community who will be mad at me yeah. for saying that identifying should be good enough. I don't really think that should be the case. And I think, you know, you have to really have a good look at the individual's uh, behavior uh, while serving a sentence, but as well as looking at their, their, their culpability in this, in the crime as well. It's a factor that shouldn't move you swiftly along into a facility like that, in my opinion. Yeah, I share that opinion. And by the way, well, I, I self-identify as a 22-year-old woman, but it doesn't mean <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you know? And I, I self-identify as having brown hair, but I <laughs> All right, Joe, i got to let you go on that. Thank you. Have a great show. Take care. <laughs> that is uh, Joe Newberger joining us tonight on Point on Global News Radio.